my name is Justin LeClue, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And you're listening to the Important Cinema Club, and we finally here, 200 episodes, a milestone I never thought we would reach. Why are we still here? <laughs> because this is all we can do now, Will. And also, we needed to finally talk about Godzilla. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. You know... 100 episodes ago, when you said we were going to do episode 200 on Godzilla, part of me thought, okay, but we're never actually going to make it that far, are we? <laughs> yeah, well, here we are. Yeah. Now, we've opined on why we love the big guy over the last 200 episodes, but let's just sum it up again. Why would you think that we go back to Godzilla over and over again? What is the attraction there? I've said this many times before, but it bears repeating. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, first getting into Godzilla movies, I thought that they were so bad they're good Uh, you probably saw a few on mystery science theater 3000 you know it was a guy in a rubber suit uh stomping on cardboard cities and the dubbing uh the voices didn't match the lip movements for gosh sakes yeah don't they know how to make movies i mean do those japanese people really think that that's an actual monster Mm -hmm. uh but then you know i had a bit of an epiphany when i went to see a little movie called godzilla 2000 in a theater (laughs) that's right (laughs) at a great time one of the great movie going experiences in my life realizing you know this is really fun and they get it. <laughs> yeah. You know, these filmmakers understand the appeal of this subject and they know how to exploit it and, you know, have fun with it. And as we know, so bad it's good is, you know, the cowards It is. Phrase. That's like, you know, you can't be attacked for that yeah. because it's an opinion that, like, you're putting yourself above the material. You're having it both ways. Mm-hmm, yeah. You look at Godzilla stopping on a city... And for me, it lights up my imagination. Uh, it's fun just on the level of, like, you know, wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fun to watch a guy break stuff. Everybody likes destruction. Yeah. Like, they love the idea of something just crumbling in their hands. Whether you're angry and you're just like, I, oh, so I just want to destroy something. You know, there are obviously the old reasons why disaster movies have always been popular, which is, like, wouldn't it be interesting to look at the society around us and watch it fall apart? Mm-hmm. Like, imagine if that happened. Imagine if... If, uh, the friggin' Empire State Building fell down. And Godzilla also works because, number one, it's a giant lizard, and everybody loves giant lizard. There's just something in our lizard brains that I think reacts to that. The scaly, hard nature of those monsters make it cool for us. And the fact that he's fat. Yes. You know? And that he doesn't move very fast. Yeah, he's lumbering. Yeah. And as the movies evolve... He becomes a personality, like an angry, almost kind of like, it's the id, just lashing out against the world. But also, like an animal, like your your pet dog or whatever, mm-hmm. he has a personality, you can sort of communicate with him, but he is fundamentally unknowable. Mm-hmm. And you can also project what you want on him as yeah. well. Yeah. And the greatest thing about Godzilla is that he can be a friend, he can be a foe, it depends on whoever's, you know, adapting the material and what they believe is the true essence of this character. Character. There is, of course, the fact that he is a timeless metaphor for man's overreach, mm-hmm. for the horrors of nuclear uh, destruction and proliferation, for uh, whatever you want, for 9-11, if you want. But I don't think that's why me and you keep going back to the franchise. I think that's very resonant when you see it once or twice. But if there was 33 movies and they all dealt with that, I don't think that, number one, they would exist. And number two, you would have like little Godzilla figurines on your table and stuff like that. Yeah, that's right. I think the reason more than anything why I keep going back to the franchise is the special effects are actually very good. So good. But in their own way. Mm -hmm. It's like 
no, it's not a photorealistic city. It's not a photorealistic man in a suit. But you know what? Neither is the 1998 Roland Emmerich Godzilla. <laughs> Neither is any blockbuster that we see. You look at those effects and you go, that's a CG effect. But you accept that in a way that people go, ugh, it's a guy in a suit. Exactly. And I, I love how tangible the rubber suit looks. I mm-hmm. love how rubbery it looks. I love the incredible texture of it. I love how detailed the cityscape is, but also kind of how fake it is. Like when Godzilla knocks over a building, it's an empty cardboard box, you know? Well, there's sometimes. It depends on what era you're watching it in. And there's also the idea of that they are so detailed and complex, and then someone is just destroying them for our amusement. And, you know, the fact that you kind of have to, like, you have to come towards the movies and be like, okay, I'm going to accept that this is a monster. Mm-hmm. You're required to use your imagination a little bit. You also have to accept, like, okay, so he's going to fight in a field, or he's going to fight on a landscape that has, like, 10 buildings on it, and then there's, like, a painted backdrop to extend the set. Like, once you accept that, you're fine. You can keep going. And I think that's the barrier a lot of people have. These images are also so absurd that, like, when I'm watching them, I don't really think of them as a man in a rubber suit. No, I don't I don't think I, I of that I, either. I forget that there's a guy in that suit. I don't necessarily think it's an actual 500-foot monster, but I forget that it's a guy in a suit. It becomes this strange, otherworldly image, you know? Well, you know, when we watch these movies, we also don't think about, like... I mean, depending on which one you watch, but it's very rare of, like, people in the cities being trampled or being killed. Like, when he's falling into those buildings, I can just easily assume, ah, there's nobody in there. That's fine. That's It's more fun that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, like an integral rule to the genre that you just have to accept as you keep going with it. So the way that we're going to talk about the Godzilla franchise in this episode is I thought we should approach it in the most mega size version possible. And what is the most ridiculous way to tackle this? Well, we're going to talk about every single one of his Japanese movies. Now, Justin, you saw every Godzilla movie in preparation for this. <laughs> yes. And I remember when I told Will this, he went... <laughs> Yeah, okay. And then I watched them all. <laughs> I don't know how you did it, man. Look, I moved this weekend, yes. so I saw a lot fewer than I want to. But you know what? You saw quite a few, though. You saw, like, three, four. You've lived with him more than I have, I think, as a child. It's true. I've seen every single Godzilla movie, mm-hmm. and I've seen most of them more than once. So I was a little bit shocked that... As I was getting later into the Godzilla franchise, I was getting very excited with the Millennium ones. I'm like, I haven't seen any of these. And I looked on Letterboxd, and I'm like, oh, wait, I have? Yeah. I remember nothing about this. So you didn't love Godzilla that much as a kid. No. Why didn't you like him? I think it comes to one thing and one thing only. A friend lent me a copy of King Kong vs. Godzilla, and I thought it was boring. Yeah. And then I got it in my head that these monster fights are boring because they're in slow motion and they can't do that much in them, which is completely wrong. Mm. And it's something that I think took me a long time to get over until I saw Godzilla Final Wars. And I only saw Godzilla Final Wars because I love the director, uh, Yue Kitamura, who I made Versus. And I remember the first time I saw it, I loved it, but I was a little bit disappointed that he didn't bring a different kinetic style to the Keiju sequences. And that thought is incorrect. He made the right choice, is that they feel like giant monster sequences. He's not trying to reinvent the wheel. And as we talk about these movies, uh, one of these filmmakers did shoot them really kinetic and not in the classical way, uh, which is considered one of the worst periods for some fans, I guess. But let's go back to the beginning. When you used to watch the first one, would you watch Godzilla King of the Monsters? Was that one that you would return to very often? I had Godzilla King of the Monsters on DVD, and that was the American re-edit mm-hmm. of 
Shiro Honda's 1954 Godzilla. A lot of Godzilla scholars like to say that that's the one that did treat the kind of material with the respect that it never got treated with after because Raymond Burr is very serious in the film. It's not treating it as a joke. And there's actually a lot of Japanese dialogue. And then Raymond Burr, who's the American surrogate in the film, has it translated for him by his assistant who's going around with him through this movie. Yeah, so it's one of three Godzilla movies where actual new American footage was incorporated by the American Mm -hmm. distributor. And Raymond Burr plays American reporter Steve Martin. (laughs) Yes, Uh, unrelated to the later comedian Steve Martin. uh, And he... Uh, arrives to Japan to visit his good friend Dr. Sarazawa, and wouldn't you know it, he just happens to be there during Godzilla's attack, and he's perpetually um, just off to the side, mm. just outside of frame with the Japanese characters. But he's actually pretty well integrated with the footage. Yes, I actually think uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters is good fun. Mm-hmm. It's it, not one that I've ever revisited, because I have no nostalgia for it. it. I have some nostalgia for it. It, it keeps enough of the tone of mm-hmm. the original version. But then when you come to Godzilla Raids again, the uh, sequel to this movie which ridiculously came within 12 months of the original. Ishiro Honda is not returning, the uh, director of the original Godzilla film. And you have just, you know, a uh, journeyman called Matayushi Oda, who is directing the human stuff. But you have Eiji Tsuburaya shooting the special effects footage. And that is top class stuff. Well, it's also a little weird in that one because it's sped up. Some of it is sped up. When they shot some of the big Godzilla sequences, uh, one of the cameramen didn't hit to overcrank it to make it slow motion so uh, Godzilla is moving in ways he doesn't really move in any of the other movies yeah the plot of Godzilla raids again is uh well the first Godzilla was destroyed by the oxygen destroyer Mm -hmm. but then there's a new Godzilla and there's also another monster who's been revived by the nuclear blast Angerus who's a turtle creature or or an armadillo yeah armadillo with spikes on him so right from the sequel you get Godzilla within like the first 10 minutes fighting another monster and and this film is sort of the son of Kong of the series. Mm -hmm. It's generally regarded as the weaker, rushed follow-up. I think it's a lot more enjoyable than it's often given credit for. It moves quick. The human stuff is fairly engaging. It's, like, mostly about, like, pilots that (laughs) they follow, like, I guess a fishing expedition of boats and that's how they run into Godzilla. Godzilla like smashes up a bunch of buildings. There's a really uh, fun ending where they have to like drop ice on Godzilla so he gets covered up and gets frozen. This is not a movie that it offers anything new, especially as you're moving onward to the other Godzilla films, but it's just giving like a lot of stuff that you enjoyed about the first one without any of the political commentary or weight to it. It was released in America as Gigantus the Fire Monster. This one has a funny story where the studio that bought it wanted to use the Godzilla footage and nothing more. They were going to toss everything out and they were actually going to shoot new Godzilla footage and uh, Toho sent them the suits to like film new sequences with, but I believe the company went out of business and so it just sat molding on a shelf for a while until they just kind of released it with some brief edits and some real wacky cheap dubbing on it. It was followed uh, a full seven years later in 1962 by King Kong versus Godzilla, which was originally the brainchild of uh, Willis O'Brien, the special effects artist who created King Kong. He had hoped this would be his comeback project, but and he pitched all around Hollywood and then eventually to Toho, a movie called 
Frankenstein versus King Kong. Mm-hmm. And uh, Toho was like, no, thank you. We will not take your concept, but we're going to use your creation of King Kong versus Godzilla. Also, later on, we'll make a movie called Frankenstein Conquers the World. <laughs> so poor uh, Willis O'Brien didn't get a cent from it. And probably died a very sad and bitter man. (laughs) But we do have King Kong versus Godzilla, which is the first Godzilla movie in color. And also the first Godzilla movie to have, uh, let's say, a a jollier tone. It does, especially in the Japanese version where... Ishiro Honda really hated television, so he wanted to make, like, an anti-TV movie by putting these two comedians want to capture King Kong for big ratings, and they want to give the public trash. There's a lot of satire about, you know, Japanese advertising and TV culture at the time. Well, is there a lot of satire? Only if you watch the Japanese version. That's right, because in the American version, uh, you know, a good 30 minutes are cut out of it uh, and replaced by boring, boring, boring <laughs> footage of just American newscasters. That's right. Explaining the plot. And I think that's probably what kind of took me aback when I saw it on VHS for the first time. I still remember that cover, too. It was like a generic cityscape with just like the heads of King Kong and Godzilla just floating above them. Yes. And this movie, rewatching it again um, in the last following weeks, man, I had so much fun with it. It is rough early on, but the comedy is very playful in a way that none of the Godzilla films had been up to that point. And once King Kong and Godzilla start throwing boulders at each other, ah, just pure entertainment. Godzilla looks a little weird in this one. He does. He looks very cat-like. He has very little eyes. He's got kind of a pin head. Mm -hmm. Which he would never really have again until they kind of did a redesign in the Millennium series. The Godzilla designs change as the movies go on, and basically his eyes get bigger, and his face gets kind of mushier and an attempt to make it more friendly for kids. Later on, he gets a smile. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, King Kong also looks like shit. <laughs> King Kong. I mean, in the movie, he's drunk all the time off of berry juice. That's right. <laughs> and this is the first time that you have, like, you know, two monsters that are human-like. Like, in Godzilla Raids, again, two monsters fought, but they were monsters just kind of gnawing and gnashing at each other. And here you have King Kong, like, doing double takes, like, looking at Godzilla, like, whoa! And if anybody is wondering, we know you heard on the playground that there's a version where Godzilla won. Every every kid heard that story. The Japanese version, supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that was never shot. And so the ending, like a lot of these Keiju films, were just the two monsters falling into the water and just swimming away. Uh, King Kong is the one who emerges. Godzilla mm-hmm. returns to his watery um, um, tomb. <laughs> yeah, that's but right. But he emerged... Uh, two years later in 1964 with Mothra vs. Godzilla, once again directed by Ashiro Honda. And, and this is probably one of the perfect Godzilla movies. And we should point out that these movies were sequels to other films that happened to feature Godzilla. Hence the King Kong vs. Godzilla and Mothra vs. Godzilla. It's not Godzilla vs. King Kong. That's right. Because they're trying to sell it from a different angle. And I mean, a lot of these Godzilla movies, even the ones where his name is in the title, if you didn't know and he just showed up like an hour in, you'd be like, whoa, there's a Godzilla in this movie? <laughs> Uh, Mothra versus Godzilla once again, uh, you know, foregrounds the kind of social commentary side. Uh, pretty, you know, pretty light social commentary, mm-hmm. but it's like, Mo- you know, the giant Mothra egg um, is on the beach, and you got these sinister kind of one froggy evening style <laughs> entrepreneurs who wanna yeah. wanna turn it into a tourist attraction. And uh, Mothra's got these two little peanut girls. Yep. Uh, tiny, the tiny, peanuts. Tiny the little women. Pop stars. <laughs> uh, tiny little women who are its protector. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, anyway, there's a, there's a plot involving a journalist. And there's just, there's a lot going on in the plot. And it never becomes boring. When you think of human plots of Godzilla films, what 
are like, in your opinion, the basic through lines of them all? Because you got to have a journalist. A you, kid. Oh, yeah. In later films, a kid. A scientist of some kind. That's right. And, and that's pretty much it. Uh, maybe and, a military person. And sometimes like a greedy yeah. like guy. Like s- somebody who wants to monetize the monster. Like in Mothra vs. Godzilla where the bad guy doesn't even get killed by any of the monsters but shot in the back by the police. <laughs> uh, this movie is in beautiful full color widescreen and Godzilla is... It's one of the last times that Godzilla is an unambiguous villain. And mm-hmm. He's he's just scary, and I think Superia's effects work is at so its good. best here. You know, uh, you get just enough Godzilla. I should point out that this film also had American footage in it because in the American cut, which was funded by AIP, mm. uh, America helps out to take down Godzilla at the end of the movie. So Tsuburaya actually shot new effects footage that is only in the English dub. Mm. Okay, that brings up a good point. You talked about dubs a little bit earlier, and I think that's another of the reasons that I was kind of taken aback by the Godzilla films. It's like the dubbing just kind of threw me off. And it wasn't until the DVD started coming out and you could watch some in the original Japanese versions that I'm like, oh no, I like this better. Also, I want to point out that when I was a kid watching these movies, they were all in pan and scan. Oh, God. And they probably looked like shit as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, of course, the films were originally shot in, you know, beautiful, gorgeous Toho scope Mm -hmm. widescreen. The shitty front row entertainment VHS copy I had of Godzilla vs. Megalon. (laughs) I mean... A public domain uh, company. I mean, if you would watch that, you would have no way of understanding that there was any artistry. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like a copy of a copy of a copy. So there's so many generations lost that it might as well be in black and white. When these movies started showing up on DVD, it was revelatory. Mm -hmm. I think that like the dubbing is important for kids to be able to watch these movies. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they would have the kind of presence in English-speaking countries if they hadn't been dubbed. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think the dubbing also cheapened them in people's eyes. They're like, oh, it's a kiddie thing. It doesn't matter. They are kiddie things. They're made for children. But like you were saying, there is an artistry there that them existing for so long only in dubbed version. Like, the original Godzilla did not screen with English subtitles in North America until 1984. And that, and even then, probably not widely. I think Probably, like, at a festival somewhere. 2004, it finally got a North American theatrical run. Mm-hmm, uh, where it was famously given a terrible review by Roger Ebert. Wow, well, you know, he, he didn't know what he was talking <laughs> no, about. No, he didn't. So, after Mothra vs. Godzilla, we got Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. Yeah, the next two of these are ones that aren't really one of my, some of my favorites. So you have Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, and Invasion of the Astro Monster. Let's group them together because they're essentially the same film. Yeah, they're kind of monster team-up movies, mm-hmm. but the monsters aren't in a lot of them. You got you got, you got got your Mothra, you got your Godzilla, and you got your King Ghidorah. And you got your Rodan as and well. Rodan. Now, King Ghidorah is a three-headed dragon monster. Mm-hmm. Sorry if my terminology is off. He may not actually be a dragon. <laughs> Rodan is kind of a pterodactyl. Mm-hmm. And, and Mothra is a butterfly, for people that don't know, but not in this one, because I believe he only appears as his larva form. That's right. Which... Why bother? Yeah, uh, you know what? There was a cool scene in, in um, Ghidorah's Three-Headed Monster where I had forgotten that there's two of them, so it, like the egg broke open, and I'm like, oh, twins! Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster has an immortal scene where I think Mothra is negotiating a peace settlement yes. between the monsters, and like Godzilla's nodding his head and stuff, and this is the moment when the series starts to veer towards the juvenile. So what's funny about that scene is Godzilla's argument for not wanting to help the monsters. He's like, I want Rodan to apologize for bullying me. <laughs> It's like, ah, yes, Godzilla, it's just a jerk, like all bullies. (laughs) And, I mean, I think that Ghidorah Three-Headed Monster is a more successful one, while Invasion
Invasion of the Astro Monsters, while it's, I think, more nostalgically appreciated by most people, is the lesser one because it's a carbon copy with the added bonus that they go to space and it has an American in it. That would be Nick Adams from Rebel Without a Cause, mm-hmm. who uh, whose career petered out with him going to Japan and uh, acting in monster movies. Even though that, like, he and Ishiro Honda, who we should point out, is directing all the movies from King Kong vs. Godzilla on until we'll mention the Switch... He actually got along very well with Nick Adams. He acted in Frankenstein Conquers the World, in Invasion of the Astro Monsters. Sorry, I have to be specific. Invasion of the Astro Monster, which is just King Ghidorah. Also known as Godzilla vs. Monster Zero. <laughs> yes. A lot of these movies have multiple titles. Yeah, because America is like, ah, Invasion of the Astro Monster. Wait, which one is the original title? Uh, Invasion of Astro Monster is the original yeah, title. Yeah, and then Godzilla vs. Monster Zero is the American title. America just loves the verses, so it's like Godzilla versus such and such. Did you ever hear the story that in Germany, they thought that King Kong just meant like you know, whatever, a giant monster. So a lot of the Godzilla movies would be like King Kong versus... Yeah. And then King Kong would not appear in any of those pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like the Django equivalent of giant monster movies. So then, after Invasion of the Astro Monster, Ishiro Honda, he never wanted to make these movies. According to a biography about him, even when he was making King Kong versus Godzilla, his wife noted that he would like get drunk all the time, which was something that he never did mm-hmm. because he didn't want to make these pictures. And in Invasion of the Astro Monster... The straw that broke the camel's back was Godzilla doing a little dance. Well, that's an iconic moment. <laughs> I love that dance, which was a famous pop culture thing around that time where he essentially jumps in the air, yelps, and like kicks his legs out and puts his, his arms up in the air. <laughs> a, a beautiful moment. Now, 1966, Ebera, Horror of the Deep, also known as Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, marks the introduction of director Jun Fukuda to the franchise. Jun Fukuda was a journeyman director at Toho, did a lot of, you know, uh, he did salaryman comedies. Spy comedies was his thing. Uh, Not not an auteur by any means, Mm -hmm. but a competent craftsman. I think he liked what he was doing. He wrote most of the Godzilla films that he uh, directed, so he was obviously involved more than just like a guy showing up and being like, eh, what are you shooting? Yeah, okay, point the camera there. I'm good. Quite a modest man, though, in his later interviews. I read one from him. Very in, sad interview. In, in, like, Cult Movies magazine from the 90s, where they where they said to him, so like, you know, what movies are you particularly proud of? And he said, none of them. And they said, which of the Godzilla movies you directed do you like? None of them. But supposedly near the end of his life, his spirits kind of got up a little bit more because fans were sending him fan letters saying how much they appreciated the Godzilla film. It was very difficult for Japanese directors in the studio system because, Mm -hmm. I mean, the studio system in Japan, much like the Hollywood studio system, there was a very high level of competence and craftsmanship Mm -hmm. in it. But also, like, much more so than the studio system in Hollywood, directors had very little control of their own destiny. Akira Kurosawa, as we mentioned last week, had control of his destiny because he became an independent. And Mm. he ended up suffering for it later. But, you know, Jun Fukuda, he brings a whole new flavor to the Godzilla franchise, which was growing mighty Steos, Invasion of the Astro Monsters. And why does it feel so different? Well, that's because it wasn't a Godzilla script. And also because it's cheaper. Yeah, it's much cheaper. Around this time, we start seeing fewer of those expensive cityscapes and a lot more beautiful South Pacific island locations. Well, uh, Tsuburaya, who had done all the special effects of the previous Godzilla movies, at this point was, you know, getting old. He had left to start his own company where they did Ultraman and Ultra Q. So his success Professor Sadamasa Arikawa came onto the scene and he wanted to do something a little bit different 
with the Godzilla sequences. Like, Super Eye would shoot it one way, and this guy, he wanted to bring a little bit more energy that almost reflected the way that Fukuda shot his own scenes. So if people don't know, the special effects scenes in Godzilla movies and the live-action sequences are shot by two completely different units. Now, somebody like Fukuda or Honda would supervise in pre-production, like how the scenes would be shot, they'd storyboard it, they'd decide what happens. But once it came to shooting, they would not be involved with any of the special effects stuff because uh, the time limitations meant that they would be shooting them simultaneously. So Ebira, Horror of the Deep, also known as Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster. Correct. <laughs> this was meant to be a King Kong script. <laughs> and at the last minute, Hanna-Barbera, who owned the rights to King Kong, said, uh, we don't like the script, so we want to do something different. And Toho went, oh, but we spent so much time on this. You know what? Let's just switch the name from King Kong to Godzilla, and then we can just go on from there. And that's why, in, I think, a first for the series, Godzilla is being, like, worshipped by tribes on mm -hmm. an island, much like King Kong always is. And Godzilla's just hanging out on this tropical island. Uh, he naps a lot. <laughs> yeah. The whole first half of the movie, he naps through. <laughs> yep. And this is also... A movie without any of the classic social commentary that Honda would bring to it. So instead of scientists and reporters, we have uh, a robber and some teens who just got out of a um, dance marathon contest. Yeah. <laughs> and they're looking for a lost brother of a younger kid. And they stumble upon uh, a group of terrorists, I believe, that live yeah. on this island who want to take over the world. And it ends with Godzilla duking it out with Ebera who is a kind of crab monster. Looks awesome. <laughs> and Mothra shows up again, too. Oh, does Mothra show up in this yeah, movie, yeah, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a Godzilla movie when I was watching it recently. I was like, oh, man, this is great. Godzilla's just knocking planes out of the air as surf music is playing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> it just brings, like, a lighter feel than these films have ever had. Honda is a good director, but he's also a very kind of leaden one and serious. And Fukuda is just like, ah, yeah, let's just have fun. And the special effects director treats it the same way. For the first time in any Godzilla films, you have a camera that's moving all over the place in the special effects sequences, point of view shots from the fighter plane zooming toward Godzilla, handheld as he's fighting. Ah, yeah, it's just so different and so fun. Something of that lighter tone I appreciate in Fukuda's next Godzilla movie, Son of Godzilla from 1960. <laughs> 67, which is a hangout movie on a tropical island. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and yes, Godzilla did father a son, apparently, a young Minya or Manila. Yes. Manila is the official name. Yeah. And Manila is a monster that when you become a Godzilla fan, you hate him. Because he's too much of a child. Yeah, he's too much of a child. He looks not right. <laughs> he has like a mush face. <laughs> he looks like Barney Rubble from yeah, the Flintstones. he does. <laughs> Mixed with Barney the Dinosaur <laughs> on yeah. that body. Yeah. And he's always whining and he can't do anything. But then as you grow into an adult, you, if you're like me, grow to love Manila and his stupid antics. Well, you know, uh, an alpha had a beta for a son mm -hmm. and they still love each other. That's right. And I think that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> and I mean, there's great stuff in this movie, like Godzilla trying to teach Manila how to blow um, his radioactive breath and all Manila can do is make circles unless Godzilla steps on his tail. <laughs> there's also a great moment when Godzilla is napping mm -hmm. and his tail is like, uh, I guess, moving while he sleeps. And so uh, Minya or Min Manila 
uh, plays jump rope with his tail. <laughs> yeah, until he lands on the tail and Godzilla's like, and ah, it's just Manila. I remembered this one being like one of the bad ones mm-hmm. when I saw it as a kid. And uh, as an adult now, I appreciate its slower tempo and its uh, surfeit of good vibes. It's because you wanted stuff that felt adult in your eyes. Yeah. And a little kid, especially like one that's fallen over his own feet, <laughs> like yeah. always getting in trouble. You don't want that. Even though this movie has two amazing Godzilla foes, uh, Kamunga, who's a giant tarantula, and Kamakaras, who's a, a giant praying mantis, or multiple giant praying mantises. Listen, we can't be too hard on Minya because the face is the way that it is because he's premature. Because yeah. the giant praying mantises break his egg and then he's born. <laughs> By this point, the Godzilla ster- series had started to lose some of its luster at the box office. Mm-hmm. Its audience was almost entirely juvenile at this point, and Toho Studios decided to call it quits. The final Godzilla movie. <laughs> For the first time of many times. <laughs> Destroy All Monsters from 1968. And they were going out with a bang. They brought back a Shiro Honda. And they have, a, I think, ten, count them, ten monsters in the movie. Including King Ghidorah, Rodan, Mothra, Anguirus, uh, Kamanga, you know, even Varan the Unbelievable, who nobody likes. <laughs> nobody likes Varan. <laughs> and of course, Godzilla and his son. Oh, and some of those monsters you just mentioned, their suits are very ratty. <laughs> That's right, because it's expensive to make those suits. Yeah, and uh, some of them they didn't remake and they just pulled out of storage. Destroy All Monsters is a wild sci-fi adventure set 30 years in the future in the year 1999. It's the creation of Monster Island, which has become kind of synonymous with the Godzilla brand, even even though technically it only appears in this movie and the next one in an imaginary context. Well, mon- there are islands with monsters in there. There are, but not one where they're all there. And this is one that I think a lot of people remember because in the late 90s, they got a massive push by, I believe it was Media Blasters or it was like oh, an anime company. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember it because I saw it on VHS and it was a, an anime company that also put out Gunhead. Yes, Toho, that's Because right. uh, there was a trailer for Gunhead at the start. Mm-hmm. I remember watching it being like, this looks so cool. <laughs> and it had an amazing painted cover of like Godzilla fighting all the monsters. Yeah. This is one that I thought was pretty boring as a kid. It's so boring. Yeah. <laughs> Even watching it recently, it's still boring. It's nice to see all the monsters on screen. Look, there's Varan in color. Uh, He still looks like a flying squirrel and lame. But at the same time, there's not that much monster fighting stuff for a film called Destroy All Monsters. It's also aliens kind of possessing all the monsters, so that's not that much fun. And at the end, it climaxes with all like ten monsters just beating up King Ghidorah one after the other. So it just seems like bullying of some kind, where it's like they're holding King Ghidorah down and like another monster is punching him. So yeah, it's not one of my favorites, but I think a lot of people have a soft spot for it because it is that kind of monster mash. It's the equivalent of Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Yeah. Where at the end they kind of like tussle for a minute and the movie's over. One that I do like is the follow-up. Yes, Toho did decide to keep making Godzilla movies, but they really went cheap with this next one, which is 69 minutes long. It's just a straight-up B movie for children. It's also uh, a straight-up mash-em-up or recycling of all the previous movies. It's called All Monsters Attack, also known as Godzilla's Revenge. Shiro Honda also directed it. And and it's a very simple story of a little latchkey kid, a little boy in Japan, who's lonely and he escapes to a world of fantasy. By electrocuting himself. <laughs> well, I, I, 
he pretends to like be be calling in a radio to Monster Island, and then he drifts to sleep. <laughs> and in his dreams, he's on Monster Island, hanging out with his friend Manila, the son of Godzilla. Okay, so I said that I didn't watch any of these movies dubbed because I wanted to respect them. This is the only one I'll, I watch dubbed, because and I will the, continue to watch dubbed. The dubbed version is better because of Manila's voice. <laughs> oh my God! Hey. <laughs> It's me, Manila! I won't hurt you. <laughs> oh, man! He's always oh. bullying me! Oh, it's Godzilla. <laughs> Uh-oh, Gabara. That's bad news. Gabara, a monster who only appeared in one movie, this one. And he looks bad. He looks terrible. He sounds like a car starting all the time. It's like... I mean, this movie is uh, good fun. It's, you know, some of the scenes of actual Japan uh, are... So depressing and dark. Yeah, I mean, that's... I, you can definitely... T- when you say that the scene, the special effects scenes are shot by different people than the main stuff, you can definitely see that here because the latchkey kid stuff is pure Shiro Honda. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of social realist uh, miserableism. But all the other stuff is mostly recycled, even though that this is the only film that Ishiro Honda shot monster stuff on because it was so cheap, they couldn't afford another director to come in and do special effects stuff. And it's only like one or two yeah. scenes that are original monster stuff. He did reshoot the scene where Godzilla teaches yeah. Manila how to blow fire breasts because he wanted Godzilla to be more mean to Manila. Right, right. So that's the scene that he reshot, even though it's just just the same it's scene. It's the same it. scene over again. And I guess he shot the stuff with... Gabra. With Manila. Yeah, with Manila who grows giant, fights Gabra, then shrinks back down. What's fun about this movie, too, is that Godzilla will mutate between scenes because they used footage from multiple movies. He'll be fighting the sea monster, and then he'll walk over to fight another person, and his, like, face will change, his eyes will get bigger, and the mask will morph because, you know, it's two different movies. <laughs> now, that was 1969, and then two years later, Godzilla returned for one of his stranger adventures. First of all, in the 19, the 1970s, it for a long time was considered the nadir of the Godzilla series. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the conventional wisdom. I think guys like you and me... Really, we love the 70s version. Someone uh, held a gun to my head and said, you can only pick one. I'd be like, give me the 70s. Give me the Jin Fukuda movies. I'd rather, I'd rather watch these 70s ones than Invasion of Astro Monsters. <laughs> I agree. I'm sorry, yeah. they're more fun. For a long time, 1971's Godzilla vs. Hedera, or Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, was also considered a lesser one. Like, oh, it's silly and it's so different from the other Godzilla movies. And one of the reasons why it was so different was the producer, uh, Tanaka, was in hospital for most of its production. He had fallen ill. And so the director, Yoshimitsu Bano, who would never direct again... Who had not directed before that time a feature film. He had done, like... I think it was like an IMAX presentation at like Expo Japan. <laughs> so and, and this was his only movie and he apparently ran wild. And he directs it like it's his only movie. It is probably the closest approximation of recreating the kind of feel of the Godzilla that started the series up until then because he's updating it to the 70s so it's groovy uh, there's an amazing theme song that is also translated in the English version save the earth yeah. there's animated sequences yeah very cool psychedelic mm-hmm. effect there's a kind of distrust of not only authority figures but also teenagers who he treats as like dumb know-nothings <laughs> uh, Hedera the smog monster is a big 
thing of sludge because it looks like a cthulhu monster <laughs> uh, japan was suffering from terrible pollution at the time i mean all monsters attack with its desolated japan is a great prelude to this movie yeah. which is also about like listen we're destroying the planet and because of that we're creating other monsters like godzilla and you know we talk about all the like oh it changes up the formula there's also a great godzilla movie with tons of godzilla action and godzilla flies <laughs> yes he does <laughs> this is one of those moments moments that fans always bring up the fact that like Godzilla he like uses his um nuclear breath to like float in the air and like chase after uh the smog monster and he puts his tail under between his legs <laughs> right. to do that that and something that happens in Godzilla versus Megalon are like oh that's dumb that's not the Godzilla that I like I like it you know what I love it and you know this is a film that the producer like you said was in the hospital when he got back he was so angry that like he wanted to erase this from the record books now Yoshimitsu Bano though he never directed another movie again tried after the turn of the millennium he got the rights in America for Godzilla that's right and he was pitching around shopping around this project Godzilla 3D to the max which would have been an hour long IMAX Godzilla movie and I think he got fairly close to making it in fact he had a whole website for it and everything instead Millennium Films made their American Godzilla from 2014 and on the last two American Godzilla movies Yoshimitsu Bano has an executive producer credit although he has been dead for quite a while now I mean Bano did get back in the good graces of the producer and there were some talks around the uh, Hesse era which comes later on Maybe we should bring him back to direct another movie. Ah, well, love that. They should have. <laughs> I wonder if we would have played it safe. Mm-hmm. On the new Criterion set, he actually interviews Ishiro Honda in like a Q and A. That's like an hour long. So if people want to see two of the best Godzilla directors talking to each other, it's right there. So after uh, Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster. You know, Toho, they often do this throughout the series. They panic when something different happens, and they're like, "All right, let's go back to basics." You know, get Jun Fukuda back he's gonna direct godzilla movies with one tenth of the budget that he had before <laughs> and the next one is godzilla versus gigan which is another stock footage romp mm-hmm. even though it does introduce gigan a giant robotic chicken with knife arms this is another reason why certain purists don't like the 70s godzilla movies mm. because the monster designs get a little uh silly a little arbitrary. yeah <laughs> i mean i really like how this monster look he has cool kind of like a laser visor but this movie is one that didn't do much for me i was all prepared to be like Ah, Jin Fukuda never struck out. But then when I recently rewatched it, I was like, oh, God, there's a lot of human stuff in this. I like this one growing up. I mean, the first there's a lot of human stuff in the first half. And then in the second half, Mm -hmm. it's basically a monster. There's a lot of recycled footage in it. And it's like recycled footage that's not fun in like the all monsters attack way. It's like doesn't match. It's from like Invasion of the Astro Monsters and stuff like that. So I think the most notable thing about Godzilla versus Gigan is that the Godzilla suit had been used. (laughs) Like like it's actually falling apart in front of the camera there's a part where you can see that it has a tear in the armpit (laughs) it had just been used so many times so uh, Jin Fukuda's follow up to Godzilla vs. Gigan is probably considered the most reviled original-ish production I guess technically All Monsters Attack is probably the most reviled but I I think Godzilla vs. Megalon for many years was considered the worst Godzilla movie Mm. maybe it even still is it's not (laughs) Uh, it's so much fun it's the one that was of the original series maybe the most widely seen in America Mm -hmm. because it got a big theatrical release by a company called Cinema Shares. It played on primetime TV 
NBC played it, hosted by John Belushi in a heavily edited version. How did it uh, go into the public domain, I wonder? So it was in the public domain for a time in the 90s, uh, and I think either international copyright law changed or Toho was able to prove somehow that they actually did own Mm -hmm. it. It's not in the public domain anymore, but for a time in the 90s, you would find this on VHS everywhere. everywhere. And always looking awful. Oh, so terrible. I mean, I should point out, I had the poster on my wall for the longest time of both of them fighting on the top of the uh, Twin Towers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, that was done to cash in on the King Kong remake. Yes, that does not happen in Godzilla vs. Megalon. This is one of the silliest Godzilla films. Very cheap. Yeah, Megalon is, again, kind of an Ultraman-style villain. And you also have the inclusion of everyone's favorite, Jet Jaguar. This is really a Jet Jaguar movie. Jet Jaguar is a... Jet Jaguar. <laughs> He's an Ultraman-like robot. <laughs> Ultraman-like ripoff. And he uh, can change his size. And he looks like Jack Nicholson. <laughs> that's right. And he's he has this big grin built in. And he's been invented by these two bachelor chums. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not uh, They don't have a relationship. They're just pals. And there's an, a really annoying kid who oh, the God. English dub is awful. <laughs> I mean, this movie has some great stuff in it. There's an amazing scene where, is it? Yeah, they're just beating up on Jet Jaguar for a while. <laughs> okay, well, I should say that the plot of this movie involves the undersea kingdom of Seatopia. <laughs> that's right. That's Last a- scene in Godzilla King of the Monsters, the American film that came out a few years ago. Folks, social commentary is back in the series in a big way because the undersea kingdom of Seatopia has been rocked by nuclear tests and they're like, listen, we've had enough of this. We're sending up our big monster to destroy the planet. And Seatopia is led by this uh, man who looks like Tim Conway uh, dressed in a toga. His, he was an actor named Robert Dunham who was basically a white guy in a lot of <laughs> Japanese Wasn't movies. Wasn't he like a businessman or some sort? A lot of the American actors you see in these giant monster movies were like the head of insurance companies who worked in Japan. I believe I've read an interview with Robert Dunham and he basically just seemed like a guy who wanted to get laid. (laughs) And he did, man. He got to show off his body wearing that toga the entire time. Very hairy. Bald head, big beard. (laughs) So this is a movie, again, you know, if you're a kid, you're going to find a lot to love here because lots of monster fights, lots of bullying. Uh, Godzilla is at his silliest. He's got a big, like, dumb face. (laughs) Yeah, he does. I love this Godzilla. Ping pong eye Godzilla is what I like to call him. There's a part where Gigan and Megalon shoot this ring of fire around Godzilla and he's, like, cowering in fear. (laughs) Doesn't he catch on fire, too? Like, the suit catches on fire? Uh, I think it happens in one of these movies or multiple times. This has the iconic scene which was used in the opening of Mystery Science Theater 3000 where Godzilla slides across the landscape on his tail and kicks uh, the monster. Yeah, they use that scene because it's awesome, right? Not because they're laughing at it or anything. That's right. (laughs) And this is actually Jun Fukuda the most in his element because he's telling like a groovy spy story in this one Mm. where it's like the heroes are being chased uh, by villains and the monsters are just involved in that around the edges. (laughs) Right. So folks, I hope you were able to make out some sort of a plot synopsis out of that. that mess. It doesn't matter. Uh, the series got a little bit more serious with the next one because how could it not? Mm-hmm. John Fukuda's last film with the franchise, 1974's Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. And I say more serious, but we are talking <laughs> about a giant mechanical Godzilla. Uh, this is also a movie that starts with Godzilla meeting another Godzilla and it's like, who? What's going on? <laughs> but it turns out that other Godzilla just has reptilian shell. <laughs> Which, as a viewer, you go, why? <laughs> 
Well, to keep them off guard. Yeah, that's right. Because underneath, it's a ripoff of everyone's favorite, Mecha Kong from King Kong Escapes. Yeah, but this time it's Mecha Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one, uh, so there are eight. Uh, alien creatures yeah. because Planet of the Apes was huge in Japan. So it, to separate all of the different alien invasion ones, you can go, okay, this is the ape one. Godzilla versus Gigan is the cockroach one. <laughs> Godzilla Final Wars, they're the fish. Oh man, <laughs> Th- this podcast has become such a descent into madness. <laughs> I mean, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla has the amazing introduction to one of the lamest Godzilla characters, King Caesar. That's right. King Caesar is a big monster who is supposed to be the savior of the earth like they keep talking him up for like 70 minutes and king caesar even gets a big song yes and then he comes out immediately gets his ass (laughs) just just completely annihilated and so then godzilla has to come and (laughs) clean things up it's really funny because after godzilla has finally like defeated mecha godzilla um he like holds him so like king caesar can like punch him (laughs) yeah which is nice (laughs) yeah that's nice godzilla throwing a bone to his old pal by this point the series had really started to dip uh, Godzilla vs. Megalon had become the first Godzilla movie to sell less than a million tickets in Japan. We should point out that at this point in time, the Godzilla films had been relegated to only child fare. There was this thing that Toho did called the Champion Festival, where it would be a whole day of movies that they would do during Japanese holidays. It's like it happened two or three times a year. And what they would do there is they would be like an edited version of an older film, oftentimes Godzilla movies, edited down to 60 minutes by Shiro Honda himself. And sometimes Honda would prefer these films. Yes. And then there would be a new one, and then sometimes maybe an episode of, I don't know, Ultraman or something like that. Because at this time, there were shows like Ultraman and Ultra Q, which were basically giving audiences... All the stuff that you could see in Godzilla movies. And production values about Mm. the same. Yep, that's right. It'd be shorter. You wouldn't have to wait like an hour to get to the climax. You'd only have to wait like 15 minutes. So the movies were declining in popularity and Terror of Mechagodzilla from 1975 is the last of the original cycle of films. The Showa cycle, which we somehow not mentioned until now. It is also Ishiro Honda's last official film as a director. So I got this movie in that box set that uh, wasn't it like classic, classic media put out. And I never watched it because when I was reading reviews on the internet, they're like, this one sucks. It's like a dying gasp of the uh, Godzilla franchise. Can't believe they brought a Shiro Honda back. And I remember when I was about to watch it recently, I was like looking at Letterboxd and I was seeing like four stars, five stars. I'm like, contrarians. That's the only reason they're giving it that high a rating. And then I watched it. I'm like, oh, but this is actually great. (laughs) Yeah, I really like this movie. And it's an attempt to sort of marry the tone of the goofy 70s Godzilla movies with Honda's earlier, more serious films. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, the human plot, and yes, it does involve an alien invasion. <laughs> Again. <laughs> but there is a rather touching, mm-hmm. I think, a surprisingly moving plot involving a cyborg woman and the love she has of, yeah. of a man. And her loyalties, which does she help the human race or does she help her mad scientist father who is obsessed with the fact that he was humiliated by his claim that he could control one of these monsters, Titanosaurus. And the mad scientist uh, father is the same guy who played Dr. Sarazawa. That's right. <laughs> Hamming it up in this one in a crazy Albert Einstein wig. So I watched this this time with subtitles because I told you this audio. right yeah and you kind of were like because I was like you know I don't watch uh, Godzilla movies 
uh, dubbed, and you were like, but I watch Terra Mega Godzilla all the time dubbed. And I was like, it's actually really different in the Japanese version. And you know what? You were right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because first of all, it has some nudity in it. That's right. Uh, it's fake nudity. It's fake tits. Yeah. But, <laughs> but they were cut for the American version. And uh, secondly, a huge... A plot point is edited in the American version to be completely different. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, like, up until, I guess, when you watch it today, you didn't know that one character commits suicide to, like, help the human race, as opposed to the American version, where it looks like someone just shoots That's them. right. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, we're talking about the human stuff, which we're praising in this movie, but, oh, man, the monster footage in this movie is so good. They upped the budget a bit for this one, so we get some good city battles in this. Godzilla has an amazing entrance. Oh, just awesome. Off in the distance, his little head pops up uh, from behind a building. Backlit. Yeah, you just see the shadow and, and of it. And then the camera zooms in on his face, mm-hmm. and light starts to illuminate his face, and the mu- the theme song yeah. plays. Mm. Uh, sorry, guys. You gotta, you gotta see it. I'm not doing it justice. <laughs> yeah. It ends with like one of the best Showa-era fights, where he has to face off against Mechagodzilla and Titanosaurus. There's this amazing scene where Mechagodzilla is just firing... Uh, Everything he's got. And Godzilla, as if in slow motion, is lumbering his way through this hail of fire and sparks and explosions. And I'm sorry, this is pure cinema. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's pure cinema in the way that, you know, Stan Brackage's Mothlight is pure cinema. It's just... <laughs> it's just yeah it's a, it's a feeling that like it's difficult to articulate it, it can belong to no other art form <laughs> that's right and you know after terror of mechagodzilla 1975 toho closed the book on it and they never made another godzilla film again that's, <laughs> right. that's not what actually happened i don't think they ever officially planned to stop making godzilla mm-hmm. movies uh, but he lay dormant at the bottom of tokyo bay in development hell for another nine years but godzilla merchandise kept selling And so in 1984, the series finally returned with The Return of Godzilla, which was released in a heavily edited version in America as Godzilla 1985. (laughs) Which is very confusing when I always call it Godzilla 1985. It's like, wait, no, wait, it came out in 1984. That's right. So this was Toho doing what they would do over and over again when they would reboot it again in the Millennium series. And when America tried to redo Godzilla, it's like, all right, let's take Godzilla back to his roots. Let's treat him seriously. So there is no other monster in this What what are you talking about? What about giant sea lice? (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, I guess there is another monster. (laughs) Very briefly. But this movie erases all the other films from the chronology except for the 1954 original. We should point out that Toho uh, in the Showa era played real fast and loose with the continuity in the sense that there was almost none. Like, actors would just take on new roles in uh, new movies. It didn't matter. Like, they expected these movies to be just for kids and kids don't need to follow the story as it goes along (laughs) like so when they started return of godzilla let's take a fresh start and also have a really complicated chronology to all this (laughs) yeah so godzilla is back well it's a new godzilla Mm. presumably he's got huge eyes in this movie for a movie that wanted to return godzilla to like his scary origins it's like i have to admit that i have never seen the original japanese version (gasps) of this film really I have only seen the American re-edit. And it I've was seen, Raymond Burr. And I've seen it many times. New World Pictures bought the rights to this movie and thought, hey, uh, let's get some uh, faded American star and let's kind of turn it into a What's Up Tiger Lily style comedy. But they had to put the brakes on that plan when the star they finally got, Raymond Burr, said, I don't want to make this a comedy. 
I'm not going to say any of your jokes. I take Godzilla very seriously. <laughs> exactly. And so that's what happened. And I don't think they even realized originally when they hired Raymond Burr that he was in the original Godzilla. You don't uh, think so? Well, I, I I think it said in the Steve Rifle book that they were tossing around names like Leslie Nielsen and I Lauren think that, Green. Uh, Raymond Burr does reprise his role as Steve Martin here referred to only as Mr. Martin. Mm-hmm. And they really wanted Raymond Burr to drink some Dr. Pepper in this movie because there was a tie-in with everyone's favorite soda company. And Raymond Burr was like, I refuse. <laughs> and Raymond Burr could only shoot for a day. He was basically doing it just as a lark. Like, mm. hey, wouldn't it be fun to be in another Godzilla movie? And it is not integrated well with the footage that was shot uh, in Japan. Well, Raymond Burr d- doesn't have a lot that he's able to do. No. He basically is just a wet blanket on things saying, no, conventional weaponry of any kind will will never be able to stop godzilla the american version also changes the plot to make it look like a soviet uh sub uh, commander fires a nuclear missile at japan and the reason for that is that new world pictures and this is not run by roger corman at this point the owners were very right wing and they wanted nothing pro russia in the movie so they're like no no we're gonna make it look like russia is firing the missiles yeah And this movie, when it came out, it wasn't like a massive success, but it started a little bit of buzz. There was a little bit of Godzilla fever going around in America. I remember there was all these VHS and advertisements and stuff like that. They got a guy to dress up in a Godzilla suit and like walk down Times yeah, Square. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was know, the last Godzilla movie released theatrically for 15 years mm-hmm. in America. Because after that, once we hit like uh, the early 90s, it became just straight to video stuff. And they, But they would play theatrical in, in, in Japan. In, in America. Yeah. In Japan, these movies were still pretty big hits. The Return of Godzilla was a big hit in Japan. I should say, by the way, that Return of Godzilla feels a lot like an American disaster movie. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of Godzilla in it, though. There is. Five years later. They didn't make another one for five years, but it is a direct sequel. It's from 1989 called Godzilla vs. Biollante, where Godzilla fights a giant flower. Yeah, that's right. A giant Audrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors, if you will. We watched this movie together during one of our early hangouts. I didn't like it when I watched it with you. Neither did I. I watched it recently, though. I like it now. (laughs) What do you like about it now? One of the things that I discovered watching all of these Godzilla movies is that you could say Stockholm Syndrome sets in, but you could also (laughs) say that, like, every Godzilla movie doesn't have to be the be-all, end-all of a Godzilla picture. Okay. So, like, Godzilla vs. Biollante gave me enough fresh stuff to enjoy that I hadn't seen before that I was like, oh, this is fun. There's like some really goofy human stuff where everyone's trying to get like Godzilla cells, which includes like a fake Middle Eastern country that has a Terminator-like figure that's working for them, like shooting and car crashes and stuff like that. Uh, Biolante looks awesome. It's like this giant puppet that unfortunately uh, starts a trend in all of these uh, Heisei movies, which is like the 90s era of Godzilla films. The monsters don't really fight like they used to do in the Showa era. They put an emphasis on them just shooting energy blasts at each other, which is not as much fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I think maybe that's what we were disappointed uh, about when we saw the not film. Not a lot of hand-to-hand combat. Not a lot of hand-to-hand combat, especially because Violette, in all of its forms, is just, like, so big. It's bigger than Godzilla that it couldn't fight him, but it's got, like, cool tentacles that come out and, like, bite him and stuff like that. If the return of Godzilla was an attempt to bring the series back to its series, Roots. The third film in the Heisei series <laughs> is much more like the goofy 70s films. It's 1991's Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. Yes, King Ghidorah is back. This is a wild and wacky time travel space adventure film. So I should point out that 
before I really got into the Godzilla series, when I was just a novice, way back in the day, King Ghidorah, in my mind, he's like the most badass of the badass. He is, you know, Godzilla's main foe. And then in the Showa era, he is such a chump. He's always being beaten instantly when he meets Godzilla. Like, in Destroy All Monsters, like, Godzilla can beat King Ghidorah by himself, and then ten monsters just, like, beat up on him. (laughs) And so when he was in Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, I think there's almost a kind of, we want to make him a little bit more fearsome in some ways, but also do it in the silliest way possible. Because this is a film, not only does it involve time travel, which if you sit and try to make sense of, you're going to get a headache. Okay, so uh, I am going to try to make sense of it. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry to interrupt your thought, but I think the listeners deserve it. Uh, People from 200 years in the future Mm -hmm. come back to 1991 Japan, and they say, listen, in the future, Godzilla has completely destroyed society, so we have to go back to 1945 mm-hmm. to stop the dinosaur that would be mutated into Godzilla. Godzillasaurus. Godzillasaurus. But you should note as well that we learn that they're lying. That's right. Yes. And they just want to destroy Japan because Japan became a superpower 200 years in the future. <laughs> That's right. I- I've already lost the thread of that, but don't worry. Godzilla is not actually erased from history. No. If anything, he comes back bigger and badder than ever. But those scenes in 1945 which were slightly controversial at the time. I hated them the first time I saw them, but you know what? Love them now! <laughs> they show a dinosaur attacking American troops mm-hmm. in the Second World Saving War. Saving some Japanese troops. <laughs> That's right. And there's a very funny scene where two very bad Ugh. white actors, they, they, see, uh, they see the spacecraft land and they think they hallucinated it and they're like, you should tell that story to your son, Major Spielberg. I think you're giving way too much dramatic weight to that line delivery because <laughs> these are the worst white actors. And we should point out that, like, the time travelers, except for one person, are all white. And they all seem to be, like, white, red-haired, balding guys. <laughs> they're just guys they picked up at the bus station, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and they're the villains, including, like, one of them turns out to be, like, a Terminator. <laughs> yeah, like Robert Patrick. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, this movie's pretty wild. Uh, mm. Incredibly dumb. The Godzilla stuff at the end, uh, I think, is top notch. Oh, well, th- it has an amazing reveal where, like, their plan is classic Bill and Ted, which is like, okay, we can't defeat Godzilla because he went from good guy to bad guy, which in these 90s movies, he's mostly a bad guy. Mm. So, how can we somehow take him down? I got it. You take one of the heads that he bit off of King Ghidorah, go to the future, make a Mecha King Ghidorah, and come back. Right. And that's what they do. Actually, not the heads. It's the body. One of the heads has been ripped off, so now it's a mechanized head, and the time traveler is in it to control it. (laughs) And uh, we didn't point out that King Ghidorah, we learn, is three cute Furby-like monsters that they bring back in time, and is mutated that turns into the giant monster. Right. Holy moly. Yep. So the next one in the series, uh, 1992's Godzilla vs. Mothra, also known as Godzilla and Mothra, The Battle for Earth. This one brings the series a little bit back to ground level, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, the previous films were directed by I'm, Kazuki Omori, who did Godzilla vs. Biollante and Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. He was a little, like, cagey when he would be interviewed about wanting to direct these films. He seemed like another journeyman. Which is weird because he would end up writing all the 90s movies. Mm. And the guy who did Return of Godzilla, he's an assistant director who would never direct anything again after that. So it wasn't like they were grabbing their top talent who would bring like passion and creativity to the franchise. They were mostly getting guys who 
they knew wouldn't like push and would just do what was asked of them. Godzilla and Mothra, the battle for Earth is one I don't remember that well. How did you uh, fare with it? It's fun. It had I had not seen it when I watched it for this podcast and it had the appearance of uh, Batra which is um, a giant kind of like scaly Mothra uh, okay. creature. And it has a really fun ending where Batra is convinced by Mothra to join its side, to team up against Godzilla to take him down. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, that stuff is fun. Other than that, man, they're all blurring together. I don't remember much <laughs> well, that happened in that movie. Maybe we should uh, we should uh, speed our way through Let's the rest do of it. these Haisai era ones. Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2, which is only titled that to avoid confusion with yes. the original one. Does not help. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mechagodzilla's back. There's also... The uh, first time Mechagodzilla is actually piloted by a human being, which right. somehow it never happened until now. Right. Um, I don't remember this one very well either. Uh, I do remember Godzilla versus Space Godzilla pretty well, mm-hmm. because how could you not? That This one is considered one of the worst of the series. I was reading an interview with the director, and he said stuff like, you know, I want to take it back to kind of like the character-driven stuff and focus on story. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> Space Godzilla is kind of a bad design. He's got, he can't move. <laughs> he's got icebergs coming out of his shoulders. Mm-hmm. He seems like uh, in a fighting video game, he's constantly using like his final move, which is like uh, giant kind of icicles falling on Godzilla from space. It was starting to, you know, be clear that the movies were becoming a bit second rate again at this point. And also, uh, Dai Studios' newly revived Gamera series mm-hmm. had started coming out in Japan at this time and were much greater critical successes. But what's interesting about the series at this point is they retired the series after just one more movie, but they were making money. Like these movies cost $10 million and they were making 50 to $40 million at the box office. Mm. That's a pretty solid return oh, yeah. for like a franchise that, you know, has lasted this long. They were all among the top 10 Japanese movies of the mm. year. Um, I mean, the follow up to uh, Space Godzilla, Godzilla vs. Destroya, which put an end to the 90s series, is also heavily inspired by the Gamera films. <laughs> Specifically, it came out the same year as Gamera vs. Legion, and it has the same plot. <laughs> and Godzilla versus Destoroya, uh, Destoroya, Destoroya, yes. also known as Godzilla versus Destroyer. Yeah, <laughs> this one was heavily marketed around the idea that this is the movie Godzilla where Godzilla dies. Dies. Yes, uh, because Godzilla becomes super radiated. Mm-hmm. He's he's red in this movie. He's so radiated, and they need to they need to stop him from exploding and destroying Japan. Not Japan, the whole world. And they need to find the oxygen destroyer from the first film. Mm. Unfortunately, the oxygen destroyer died with Doctor Sarazawa. While they find Doctor Sarazawa's old girlfriend. Yeah, and you know, thankfully, somebody a completely different scientist is already doing oxygen related experiments, which. Uh oh, has turned the dirt, I guess, or the creatures into giant monsters so they can do a ripoff of aliens where the monsters are crawling down hallways after army people. Now, did the series end at this point because of the American Godzilla that was coming? I believe it did, yes. Uh, they claim it did not. They claim they just wanted to take a break, but I'm sure they probably made a deal where America would make their Godzilla movies, they would take a step back, and they wouldn't do anything for a little while. I mean, this movie is the darkest of the 90s one, just from theme and the visual look of it. It's very, like, grainy and kind of depressing, and Godzilla does die at the end of the movie. Yeah. So it's actually like, whoa! Like, it's almost you don't expect it. And also, Godzilla Jr. dies, not Manila, who's a completely different creature. Yeah. And that's sad, too. So it did feel like a kind of finale to the entire series. Now, folks, we're hitting the home stretch here because we are getting into the third cycle of Godzilla movies. 
uh, from the early 2000s. <laughs> yep. This well, is there's the, four of them. This <laughs> four is cycles. The, this is the millennium era. Mm-hmm. We can zoom through these bad boys. <laughs> uh, well, these are these ones have a special place in my heart because these are ones that I was sort of following the production of on the internet as they were being made. Uh, and also, piracy was not where it is now, so there was no way to see these oh, movies. Oh my god. I remember when Godzilla Final Wars was coming out, I'm like, I need to see it! Oh my god, it took a whole year to come out here. I watched it unsubtitled the first time. My oh. only <laughs> link to the movie was Don Fry, who spoke English. <laughs> so the first of the cycle from 1999 is Godzilla 2000. The last Japanese film to receive a wide theatrical release in America. And this is again directed by Takao Okawara, who did a number of the Sai movies. Mm-hmm. Really, it's just a continuation of the Sai series. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel particularly distinct from those. It's another like, ah, we got to return to form, but not really. They're trying to do kind of like, it's a little bit of Twister. It's a little bit of whatever was popular in America at the time. This is a pretty generic Godzilla movie, mm-hmm. but it holds a special place in my heart because I saw it in a theater. And as you said multiple times, it was one of the greatest theatrical experiences ever, right? It was fantastic. I love the special effects in this mm-hmm. movie. Uh, it really hits the sweet spot. Uh, there's a great scene where a guy stares right into Godzilla's eyes, which happens a lot in the series, and screams, Godzilla! Before the building he's in explodes. I mean, what I particularly remember about the English dub is it ends with uh, Godzilla having destroyed the monster whose name is, I believe, Orga. Mm-hmm. Uh, Godzilla, you know, just merrily uh, stopping <laughs> Japan, and two characters say to each other, Why does Godzilla keep protecting us? Maybe it is because Godzilla is inside each one of us. <laughs> oh, man. You know, we made fun of Raymond Burr in Return of Godzilla, but we forgot his greatest contribution to that film, which is his monologue over Godzilla dying. Oh, so good. <laughs> Nature has a way sometimes of making us realize just how puny we really are. <laughs> so after Godzilla 2000, it wasn't a huge hit. Uh, in America. I think that Toho was hoping, and Sony as well, who picked it up, for something a little bit bigger. Now, Toho said it wasn't a reaction to the failure of Godzilla, the American one directed by Roland Emmerich, but considering the content of these films, which are constantly mocking the (laughs) American Godzilla, you would not know that. The follow-up to Godzilla 2000 was Godzilla vs. Megaguirus, which Mm -hmm. was the last time the series would attempt to create a new monster. They should create a new monster every movie, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, This is another one of those ones I only ever saw once. Uh, It's tons of fun. It's a return to the Godzilla, like, striking like wrestling moves and, like, doing really goofy stuff to the monsters. (laughs) A lot of, like, reaction shots of Megaguirus, which is a giant dragonfly. Like, at one point, it smiles before it drops a building on Godzilla. (laughs) The movie of the Millennium Cycle, though, that is considered hands down the best is 2001's Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah Giant Monsters All Out Attack. So Toho decided to refresh again the series and how did they do that? Well, they got the director of the Gamera series, the Gamera Guardian of the Universe series, which had been so popular in the 90s. Uh, This director, who goes by the name Shusuke Kaneko, uh, he actually pitched really hard to direct Godzilla after uh, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. And they were looking for a new director. Like, please, 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 pick me, pick me. But he had not really done anything really big up until then. So they were like, no, thank you. But now that he had proven that he could do his thing, they brought him on. And what's amazing is he came onto the series and said, all right, 
I'm going to reinvent it all over again. This one returns Godzilla to being unambiguously evil. Oh, and you know how you know he's evil? Well, he's powered by the souls of the people who died in Japan from the nuclear bomb, and he's got milky white eyes. Horrifying. (laughs) Yes. And protecting Japan are the guardian monsters, King Ghidorah, Mothra, and Baragon. (laughs) Did you know that the director wanted it to be uh, Angerus? Baragon and Varan as the people protecting him. Which I like that. Deep cuts. Well, I mean, Baragon, I don't think he had been seen since Frankenstein Conquers the World, right? Yeah, really long time. Oh, Destroy All Monsters. I think he shows up in, like, stock footage. But this is one of the darker, more violent movies. It's still, you know, very silly and a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, Godzilla is malicious in this movie. There's multiple scenes of people making fun of him and then Godzilla brutally murdering them (laughs) a few scenes later. The most famous one being a woman in a hospital who had already survived a giant monster attack wakes up to find Godzilla outside her window. She screams in terror, but then, bum, bum, Godzilla walks by. She lets out a sigh of relief, and then his tail comes and smashes the building to the ground. The Godzilla Millennium series... They weren't blockbusters in the way that the 90s high sci movies were. Uh, <laughs> they weren't even hits. <laughs> they were generally programmed on the second half of double bills for children's matinee audiences, <laughs> which is humiliating. Like A double bill with a hamster film. <laughs> a, a hamster cartoon character. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, they weren't, they weren't hits, but they kept making them. I guess they sold enough toys. The next two of the series are tell a continuing story. Godzilla against Mechagodzilla and Godzilla Tokyo SOS. They're just remakes of Godzilla versus Megagyrus, so... They're, yeah, I mean, and Godzilla Tokyo SOS, once again, we see Mothra in there, <sighs> Mechagodzilla... What can you say? You've seen it before. Yeah. Here it is again. And then they decided, all right, we're going to end our Godzilla series again, again. <laughs> With an all-out, all-monster Extravaganza, yeah. 2004's Godzilla Final Wars. By far the biggest budgeted Godzilla movie. $20 million. And one of the biggest flops of the series. Directed by Ryu Kitamura, mm-hmm. a, a name-brand director. Yep, he had made uh, Versus. He had done uh, Zumi, which was a manga adaptation that was a big hit. This seemed like printing money, but it came out. The fans didn't like it. Just the general public didn't like it. Faded into obscurity. And it's too bad because this is one of the most fun ones. So much fun. It's uh, really kooky. It's like, you know, reading a bunch of comic books all at once. (laughs) It's got wacky Matrix ripoff stuff. And people that argue like, it's not like the original Godzilla. I'm sorry. It doesn't have a bunch of boring scenes with humans (laughs) talking about, eh, who cares? (laughs) Uh, uh, Godzilla faces off against, what, 10 monsters? 10 monsters. Some that you haven't seen since their original films like King Caesar or... uh, Um, The giant praying mantis and the giant tarantula. He even fights the American Godzilla. (laughs) He does. Set to a Sum 41 song. And the fight lasts one move. (laughs) And and the aliens say, we knew that tuna eating monster was good for nothing. This is just like a giant love letter to the Godzilla films in a way where they figured out how to actually bring it all together in one two hour, just like sugar rush (laughs) the entire time. This is a good movie, I think, as like an entry Godzilla film because you get to learn all the iconography really fast and then if you want to kind of explore it from there you can just move on to the other one like this is the one that made me go who is this Godzilla fellow I would like to subscribe to his newsletter and you also have and we've spoken about him before 
Don Fry, continuing the uh, tradition of non-actors that are American appearing in these Godzilla films. Definitely the best white guy to ever appear <laughs> no. in a Godzilla movie. <laughs> Fuck off, Nick Adams. Yeah. It's Don Fry. He's, uh, I think he was either a wrestler or a UFC fighter. He has like a big mustache. <laughs> there are two things in this world you've got to be afraid of. One of them's me. The other is Godzilla. Godzilla. <laughs> so good. It ends with the complete destruction of the world and... An amazing <laughs> appearance by Manila, who had not appeared in these movies since uh, All Monsters Attack. Yeah. And he's back again. You know, he doesn't have the mush face because they're not going to do that. But he looks pretty close to what he looked like. Oh, my God. Talking about these movies, it just feels like like a Mobius strip. It just feels like <laughs> we keep going, going to like the same places again and again, seeing the same... like. Going, taking strange paths and ending up in the same rooms. You know, I have to say that I was really worried when I decided to watch them all that I'd be like, oh my God, this again? And that's actually not a feeling that I really felt except for twice, which was King Ghidorah and Invasion of the Astro Monsters. I was like, oh my God, the same thing again. And with Godzilla against Mechagodzilla and Godzilla Tokyo SOS, because no new monsters were being introduced. And I'm like, this is the same story again. Other than that, Mechagodzilla appeared way less than I expected. So did someone like Mothra. Finally, 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 after the American 2014 Godzilla movie, Toho responded in 2016, a full 12 years after their last film, with Shin Godzilla, which I think translates to something like New Godzilla. Yeah, God Godzilla, something like that. Yeah. And this movie, we've talked about it on the podcast One of the before. very best of the series, mm-hmm. and one of the most atypical of them. It, fe- it, like, it feels like... Like, a lot of the Godzilla movies, you know, they're like the James Bond movies mm-hmm. where you measure them by the other ones. Yes. Th- this one feels like something separate, something well, different. I would say that, like, if you wanted films that had that kind of feel of the original Ishiro Honda and you wanted to do, like, I want to do a trilogy of them because I want to feel down, I would recommend the first Godzilla, Godzilla versus uh, the Smog Monster, and uh, Shin Godzilla. Because yeah. they each capture the era where they're made they represented on screen and use different stylistic techniques to kind of, you know, make it feel fresh while still portraying the monsters as a destructive, almost undefeatable force. Yeah, Shin Godzilla really feels like the first truly like post 9-11 Godzilla movie, although there were other uh, equivalent natural disasters in Japan. Japan. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. that they were referencing. Uh, But, you know, a lot of stuff with cell phone videos. Mm. Uh, Again, it's, it's a movie where there's no one main character. It's all about kind of inept bureaucracy mm. dealing with the Godzilla crisis. I mean, it's really about bureaucracy being thrown away in a group of people who know that they just want to do the right thing, coming together with no class and no ego, figuring out a solution to take Godzilla down. It's a very funny movie. It is. Uh, in ways that, like, is so subtle that, like, on first viewing, you might not even catch because it's moving so fast and there's so many characters. And it does this thing where, like, their name pops up in the subtitles and it's just like boom 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 and like there's jokes that i noticed like recently when i watched it at one point he's like we got to get a team together yeah a team was balls and then it cuts to them like giving each other business cards they're like here you go <laughs> yeah <laughs> and no godzilla movie has been ever shot this way just kinetic quick editing and it all takes place in just offices yeah. in hallways yeah and when godzilla shows up he's genuinely scary genuinely scary and you when you watch a movie you won't realize it but there's no practical like Godzilla suit in the film. And it's just the way they shoot it. It's just 
understand Godzilla, how to make it scary, how to present it differently, and just make it work. So having been over all these movies, my prescription for the series going forward is more good directors. Yes, please. Like, <laughs> directors with a vision. <laughs> I, I, look, all these movies are fun to some degree or another. Um, yeah. Some definitely more, more than, than others. others. But when you hire someone who's been an assistant director for 40 years, like, like yeah, they deliver the movie, I think they we, will. We've had enough journeymen making mm. these movies. Let's have some more visionaries. I mean, Toho would threaten to be like, we want to create a Godzilla universe now. And it's like, no, just hire a director that wants to make a fun Godzilla movie. Oh, they, oh, they see what's happening with Marvel. <laughs> yeah, and they want to do that. Because I, they already had a cinematic universe. I mean, like, Toho after Shin Godzilla, not only are they not following it up with anything in that vein, they're also, they released, like, three animated Godzilla films that are, like, the nadir of the franchise. I haven't even point. seen them. Not even going to watch them. And they're right there on Netflix. I can yeah. just click and watch them. But no, no, no interest. I want to see guys in rubber suits or guys that look like they're in rubber suits crashing into miniature buildings. So, Godzilla. Yep. Great. You what should a, watch more what movies. A, what a guy. <laughs> That's right. 200 episodes. Yeah, I'm glad we finally got to him, gave him his due. And we asked for your Godzilla questions. A lot of people sent them in. And because we are running Godzilla size compared to our usual episodes, I'll just go quickly through some of the questions that were sent. I'm sorry I don't have your names in front of me, but I really appreciate you sending them in. So some of the questions that we got was, for example, what was the most emotional scene in any Godzilla film, in your opinion? Oh, uh, gosh. Uh, not the scene where Raymond Burr is talking over <laughs> Godzilla falling into the chasm. Yeah. Godzilla vs. Destroyer is pretty sad at the end when Godzilla dies. Dr. Sarazawa's death in the original is pretty sad, but also there's a scene in Shin Godzilla where Godzilla is basically just destroying an entire mm -hmm. city area just with his fire breath just wipes it out. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that scene, I think, is very affecting. You know, I get uh, moved a little choked up at the end of Godzilla Final Wars where Godzilla's about to kill seemingly the only remaining humans on the face of the planet. Mm -hmm. And they all, like, raise their guns to shoot at him. And then a little kid jumps in front of the humans and, like, puts his arms out like, no, don't hurt Godzilla. And then Manila jumps in front of the humans to be like, no, Godzilla, don't hurt the humans. Which convinces Godzilla to be like, you know what? I'll give them another chance. And then the Godzilla and Manila just walk off into the sunset. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the most emotional part of the Godzilla movies, when they just walk off yeah. into the big tank at Toho, which has now been destroyed. Yeah. Uh, another question was, who's better, uh, Godzuki, Manila, or uh, Godzilla Jr.? That's not a contest. It's Manila. <laughs> it's definitely Manila. Uh, another person asked... Do you ever get tired of Godzilla's roar, which is a trademark? You hear it all the time in the movie. Sometimes within like 10 seconds, it'll just roar, roar. It's his main form of communication. No, I love Godzilla's nah, roar. Now, love it. Watch like 34 movies and never got tired of it. Every time I heard it, just put a smile on my face. Mm. So if you have any other questions that are, you know, if they're Godzilla rated, you can still send them to us. Send it to uh, Important Cinema Club Podcast at gmail.com. This week on our Patreon, what do we talk about, Will? We talked about the 1998 oh. Roland Emmerich Godzilla. Or also known as Gino, Godzilla in name only. Which is also uh, like a hurtful slur against Italian people in French. That's true. <laughs> yes. uh, now, and Godzilla faces his deadliest opponent yet, Matthew Broderick. <laughs> you know what? Do we watch it and find something great about it? Maybe we do. Who Maybe knows? we do. It's yeah. $5 a month. Important Cinema Club... Patreon.com slash The Important Cinema Club Podcast. And next week, what are we doing? Godzilla, obviously. <laughs> no, no, I, I've, I've had enough of the big guy for now. Episode 201, we kick off a whole new era of The Important Cinema Club Podcast <laughs> with 
the ultimate gutter auteur, Andy Milligan. He's a man we've spoken of a lot over the last 200 episodes, always threatening that an episode is coming. John Waters once said of Andy Milligan, his career poses the question, can a genius be untalented? (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? I'd like to thank every listener that have listened to us to this point. We really appreciate new listeners, just people that follow us every week. Was anybody there for episode one? I wonder. (laughs) I feel Send like us an email if we, you were. I think we were getting like between 40 and 60. But they must started. have been people that we know, right? Must have been, yeah, yeah, because other than that, I don't know how other people would discover us. And before we go, I have something that I actually have to advertise because it's a big deal. It's a new Gold Ninja video release. Oh, yeah. And it's something very special. Well, we're doing two releases because Gold Ninja video, every few months what I do is I release one... You know, like we would usually do like a public domain gray market movie with a bunch of special features. This month it's Thundering Mantis, which is a great kung fu film uh, starring Lung Kar Yan, who is a very underappreciated performer from the golden age of, uh, you know, the 80s of like field fighting movies. Uh, It's a movie that has a climax so crazy that even when I say that and you're anticipating it, it'll happen. You'll be like, what? I can't believe this movie ended this way. But other than that, I do something that I've been wanting to do for years, pretty much. And that's make a Blu-ray of a Matt Farley movie. Oh, man. The man who wrote 20,000 songs on Spotify. Mm -hmm. And who also uh, wrote and stars in movies like Don't Let the River Beast Get You, Monsters, Marriage and Murder in Manch Vegas. Slingshot Cops, Mm -hmm. Freaky Farley. I mean, if you haven't listened to the episode about him that we did, listen to it, please. And then buy Local Legends on Blu-ray which is the movie that I'm putting out. This is his autobiographical, um, yeah, his his self-portrait of, if you've ever asked yourself, who is this man who wrote Mm -hmm. 20,000 songs on Spotify? This is his movie. It's like, what if Stardust Memories were by a man who's not actually famous? But what if the movie was somehow not like an ego trip and was funny and actually a little bit moving? (laughs) It's, It's such a funny and beautiful movie because it is about just being creative for its own sake and mm-hmm. hoping that your creativity connects with someone. But even if it doesn't, you, you just know, keep making stuff. Just, just keep, keep hoping keep doing that it's going to get out gotta there. Keep doing it. So not only is that movie on this Blu-ray in a high dev version that has never been anywhere, <laughs> Matt actually sent it to me and he's like, it's like a 16 gigabyte file. So it's going there onto the Blu-ray, but I did a new commentary with Matt Farley on that movie. And I'm also putting another movie we talked about on the podcast, Druid Gladiator Clone from the early 2000s. And not only did Matt get in on the commentary with me, but his co-creator in crime who directs all of his movies, Charles Roxburgh, also gets in on the commentary with me, which is new and has never appeared anywhere else. And that stuff is fun. I also interviewed uh, most of his cast members, uh, Sharon Scalzo, Chris Peterson, Elizabeth M. Peterson. They're all interviewed on this disc. But the craziest thing is when I was looking at Matt Farley's IMDb, I saw a movie, I was like, I've never heard of that title before. Checked his YouTube, wasn't on there. And I'm like, what is this feature? Is it maybe something somebody just added? I asked Matt and he said, oh yeah, I made that feature. We made that after Druid Gladiator Clone. We wanted to make like a serious film festival movie. We went in going, all right, what do film festivals like? And that's what we're going to make. And, you know, we're going to get a little bit more success than we got on our previous films. Got turned down from the few film festivals they sent it to. And then he put it in a drawer and he closed it. Never been released anywhere. It's not on YouTube. It's nowhere. It had never been reviewed as, I think, zero IMDb ratings. And Matt and Charlie were like, 
yeah, you can have this movie. It's hidden on the disc. It's not on the back. It's not advertised. But to important cinema club fans, it's on there. And they even recorded like a 10-minute kind of outro to the movie with me talking about like how it came to be, how it like didn't get released. So yeah, that's on there as well. If you don't buy this, folks, <laughs> you're not allowed to listen to the podcast anymore. Yep. And those two discs are available at goldninjavideo.com. We're finally done. So uh, until next week, my name's Justin the Clue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. Godzilla, I will be your friend today. Even though you took the lives of my other friends away, you're big, green, and scary, and so misunderstood. But there's love in your big, big pong eyes, even when you kiss. Have such a mighty roar, but I can tell that you are just really bored. Stomping cities, eating children, making trouble in the streets. But I know you're only. For a little love Mothra is your sometimes pal King Ghidorah is selfish and stuck up Rodan is a flying jerk And your stupid son Manila Oh f*** him Godzilla Godzilla You're a savior sometimes can get into your mutated soul. Oh, Godzilla, have you ever cared for me?